It's 12.07. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us as we do every day. First couple segments of the program, we live stream it. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and you can see the show as it's done in the studio. You can also participate by Facebook Live, via Facebook Live. Again, Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. And we, we do it for about the first two segments. Sometimes we extend it, but normally it's about the first half hour of the program. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this show. Coming up at 110 today, MMSD has another major dump. If you have listened to me, you know I don't fault MMSD. I, I get the fact that you have to dump untreated wastewater, which means that stuff from your toilets into Lake Michigan because the deep tunnel fills up when you get heavy rain. The question is, how much longer are we going to put up with this type of pollution before we bite the bullet and do what we should have done 20, 30 years ago, which is step separate the storm sewers in Milwaukee and in Shorewood from the sanitary sewers? And for all the environmentally conscious um liberal elites in Milwaukee who lecture me all the time about climate change and the effects of pollution and things like that, how much longer are you going to put up with this? We talk about that at 110. And then 1235 today. You don't want to miss this segment. Yesterday on the program, we talked a little bit about that this op-ed piece in the New York Times. Um, I, I, I think the person that did it is a gutless, cowardly whiner. Now, some people argue to me he is a patriot or she is a patriot. We will discuss that, so stick around. But let's get started again. Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ live streaming this segment. The national anthem controversy refuses to go away. The National Football League is back. First game was last night. One of the Philadelphia Eagle players took a knee, but otherwise everybody else stood. Governor Walker and the Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes, have now gotten into this in a Twitter war. Now, we have talked about this from a certain perspective quite a bit. And the, the question has been, do you have a right to do it? You know, the argument has been, gee, do the players have a First Amendment right? If they decide they want to engage in a protest while effectively at work, should they have the right to do it or not? And, and we have we have discussed it from that perspective. I, I'm tired of that conversation. I, I don't want to talk about my answer, I think, is pretty clear that I think the NFL has the right to say no when you're at work. You don't have the right to exercise, to do this particular protest, stay in the tunnel or whatever. But but that's a separate discussion. Yesterday, Governor Walker sends out a series of tweets, which really, I, I think, brings the issue home. Here, here's, here's what he texts. He says, with the NFL season opener tonight, I'm calling on all players to stand up, put their hands on their heart, and show some respect to the brave men and women in uniform, it's that simple, and it is the least they can do. And none of this staying in the locker room either. Stand up. Be honorable. Show respect. It's a simple ask compared to what our service members sacrifice every single day for us. Now, this has created a huge controversy because the Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes, Barnes, he's in the past, he supported the kind of like take a knee efforts. This isn't a question about whether you have then the right to do this. All right, I'll leave that for another discussion. Here is my question. Is protesting the national anthem in this fashion, is it the right thing to do? 
414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What I interpret the governor as saying is this is just an unacceptable form of protest. It's not that you might, whether you have the right to do it or not, forget that. It's not the right thing to do. And that when you're attending, whether it's Miller Park or attending the game at Lambeau Field or, you know, your local community hall or whatever, and somebody says, okay, we're going to sing the national anthem. The right thing to do is to stand up, to take your baseball cap off, and if you don't want to sing along, that's fine, but to stand there respectfully during the national anthem. Regardless of whether you have the right to sit down or eat popcorn or take a knee, is it the right thing to do to stand up? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Crew is lining up the calls. We are back to discuss in just a moment. 1212 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And once again, live streaming, Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. 1215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we're, we're talking about the national anthem controversy. Yesterday, Governor Walker sends out a tweet saying you should stand up for the national anthem. And, and I think this raises an interesting question. Not do you have, do players, for example, have a right to kneel or, or not? Let's put that one aside. The question is, even if you have a right to do it, is it the right thing to do? And my comment would be, I think if you're at the game where the national anthem is being played, you should get off your chunky butt and stand up and stand respectfully. I think that that's the least that you can do. 414-799-1620. Paul on the North Shore. Paul, good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for taking the call. Sure. You know, uh, let me start. I stand for the national anthem. I make my kids stand for it. But at the end of the day, it's a symbolic gesture, just as is the kneeling. And we have to remember that, that that's all it is. So if you want to do something to advance, whether it's standing or kneeling, if you want to do something to advance your cause, do something concrete, not just a symbolic gesture. I mean, well, well, but a, it's a, a doctor I mean, that wears a white lab coat is no better or worse than a doctor that's not to wear a white. But well, well, it's not a question of to me. It's not a question of better or worth worse. It's a question of respect or or non-respect. And I guess I I think you know we're we're citizens. We're you know we we enjoy all the freedoms of this country. I don't think it's too much to ask as a gesture of respect that people stand during the national anthem. I guess. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I dropped off. I, uh, it, it's, it, it, look, I, I'm not, I, I want to be real clear here. I am not arguing that if somebody decides to sit down during the national anthem, that means that they're not patriotic. I mean, I, I don't know what that means, what it means to be patriotic, but I'm just saying it's a gesture of respect. I think you stand for the national anthem. I don't think that is too much to ask for. 414 799 one six twenty. Let's talk to Izzy in Wind Lake. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, I think that they should stand, whether they 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 believe they should or shouldn't. I think out of respect for that, not even for themselves, but for others around them, to stand silently. Um, right. They do have a right to protest, but I think they chose the wrong venue. Mm-hmm. They should not be doing that at a venue like this. Well, and I, see, and I would say the same thing to people in, in the stands as well. This is one, it, to me, it's just, again, it, it's, if somebody decides to sit, I'm not saying they are unpatriotic, but I think 
it's kind of a jerky move. I mean, it's one of these things where this is a common thing. We are citizens of this country. You stand up during the national anthem to show respect for the country. And I don't think that's an unreasonable ask. I, I, it, is not, it is not an unreasonable thing to ask of anyone. But at the same time, they also need to, during the anthem, they should not be speaking either, having conversations. Yeah, no, right. Thank, thanks for calling. I mean, again, I, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it, it's sort of like... Oh, okay. It, I mean, we, we've seen this come up in other discussions. It's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance. All right. If, do you, do I think that you should be required to pledge allegiance to the flag? Well, well, no. All right. No, I guess not. But, but you shouldn't have to be required to do that. You should just do that as a matter of course, as a gesture of respect to the country in which you live in. And it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what the politics are. To me, it's just a gesture of respect. Do you have the right under the Constitution not to do it? Yes, you have the right under the Constitution not to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. But seriously, I mean, at, it's, at some point in time, just as a matter of basic, fundamental, again, respect, I think that that's what you do. Let's talk to Brandon in Kenosha. Brandon, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, good morning. Or Hi, good Hi, Brandon. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? The conversation you're having here and the points you're making, I think, are right on right on key. You know, I was mentioned to uh, to your staff there is, right. you know, a guy like Jim Brown has recently come out and said that he wouldn't have took this platform. Um, a guy like that who's been through much worse uh, than, than these athletes have ever encountered in their lives, where there literally was segregation still going on during his playing time. And if a guy like that comes out and says it's not the platform, these, these everybody that's taking me needs to take a look at what he's saying and what he's experienced. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not about the politics. We're Americans first. Doesn't matter right. if you're right, you lean right, you lean left. You know, religion. Anything. We're Americans. Right. Respect your country. Respect your flag. Be proud that you had those freedoms. When you take a platform like that. Like you said, if I do that at work, if I got maybe one warning, if not the same time, I'm getting fired for doing something like right. that at my job. Right, but yeah. you wouldn't do it because it's just it's it's a gesture of respect. It's something that you exactly. you do because thanks for call because it, it's the right thing to do. Okay, now here now this is an interesting experience. Here's somebody text me: Look around the stands at any major sporting event. I challenge you to notice how many people talk, take selfies, and generally pay no attention. And let me just stop there. I go to a lot of sporting events. I'm not saying I go to every game, but I, I'll, this year I will probably go to, I don't know, 25, 30 Brewers games. All right, I've got 20 pack of season tickets. I go to some other games. I'll go to a couple Packers games a year. I will go to most of the Marquette University home basketball games. I might even get to an occasional Bucks game. I go to a lot of sporting events. And contrary to the suggestion, I don't notice that. I mean, look around the stands at major sporting events. I challenge you to note how many people talk, take selfies, and generally pay no attention. Maybe I'm overstating it, and I'm willing, for those of you who go to games, I don't notice that. Matter of fact, I, I notice... No, even if you're not in the stands, I, one of the things, like if I'm coming into Miller Park and I'm getting there a little bit late and I, I'm in the concourse heading to the seats, one of the things that I notice is most people, even in the concourse, they stop. I'm not saying everybody, but most people stop in the concourse. All the vendors stop doing business, and and people just stand. I mean, at least 
That is my experience. And I think people do that not because we're all of the same political tribe, but they do that because, well, again, it's a gesture of that R-E-S-P-E-C-T. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I think, well, yeah, definitely. You should stand. I think it's rude not to vote number one. You know, obviously, you'll show respect. But I think it's, like I was telling your screener, it, it's, it seems to me it's, it's not even so much that. It's just, it, it seems to be reflective of just the way the whole society has become as far as with respect. Saying please and saying mm-hmm. opening the door for somebody or not cutting them off. And it's just a me, 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 me thing. You know, that type of deal. Yeah, well, I mean, let me ask you this, Dave. Do you go to many ball games? Do you go to occasional ball game? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I used to be a, a partial season ticket right. for, you know, the I, I don't know. I mean, my experience is, like I was saying a couple of minutes ago, most people stand up. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I'm not saying that everybody does, but I, my general experience when I'm there is when they say, you know, stand up, you know, gentlemen, take off your hats. Most people do that, and, and they stand there, and they, they don't talk during it watch. because, you know. Yeah, I mean, watch a NASCAR race. Everybody stands. <laughs> And everybody puts their hand, you know, over their heart and things like that. So I mean, yeah, no, right. I, right. Thanks for call. I mean, I guess I just, and I think that's what most people do. And it's not, and it's, it's certainly not a statement that they're saying that they think everything is great in this country or that they support Donald Trump or Barack Obama or whatever. It, it's just, it's one of those common things that we are all Americans and. That this is our kind of one of it, it is a, is it a symbolic gesture? Of course, it's a symbolic gesture. The flag is a symbol. All right, I, I understand all that, but it, it's part of that community experience. Jeff and Fox Point says I've been to nine Brewers games this year, and I don't think I've ever seen any disrespect. Um, yes, I I I, I haven't I, I haven't either. I guess that's just kind of how I I look at this and. You know, whether whether or not you want to criticize Governor Walker for politicizing this or or not, that, that's a, that's, again, a whole other issue. But I do think he raises a very, very interesting point. And that is, look, if we're all Americans, here's the deal. This is not a perfect country. There are all sorts of issues. And yes, you have a right to protest. And let's let's not talk about the NFL players. I mean, that's a question of are they in work or not. Let's talk about the people in the stands. Most people in the stands, the vast majority, they stand up because they respect the flag. They love this country, even though it's not perfect. And it's one of the things that brings us all together. And, yeah, I think the governor is absolutely right when he says, you know, you know, he's calling on all players. And I would add that all fans as well. Stand up, put your hands on your heart, show some respect for the brave men and women in uniform. It's simple, and it is the least you can do. And I would apply that to NFL players and Major League Baseball players, and I would apply it to all the people that show up at Miller Park tonight to watch the game between the Brewers and the San Francisco Giants, and all the people that are at Lambeau Field on Sunday night to watch the game between the Bears and the Packers. It's the least that you can do. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, when we come back in a couple minutes, speaking of the least you can do, um, we, we talked about the person who wrote this anonymous op-ed feature in the New York Times saying, hey, we're out here actively trying to undermine President Trump. A couple people were arguing with me that that person is an incredible patriot. 
I don't buy that. We're going to discuss. Stick around. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, thanks for participating in our Facebook.com, 620WTMJ live streaming. We have that up there so you can check out the segment anytime you want. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, hey, if you go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile app, and you can you can download and subscribe to. Actually, that's the best way to do it. Subscribe to our podcast page, and you can get notified uh, about 3.30 every day. is when we post the podcast from the show. I hear from a lot of people who say, yeah, I'd love, love to listen to all three hours, but I can only listen to 25 minutes or a half hour on lunch hour or whatever. You can listen to the whole thing. Um, at your convenience, simply download, go to WTMJ.com, subscribe to the podcast. Also, we just passed that little round number on our Twitter followers, so that's good. I'm trying to, one of the things I'm trying to do is give you a heads up on what we're going to do on the show via Twitter with some links to some of those stories, so you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 at, uh, at Twitter. The Brewers welcome the Giants to town as they go for their sixth straight series victory. The pennant race is on as Hall of Famer Bob Euchre is on our call. The game day coverage starts 635 tonight. Tune this in. All right. Let me let me give you kind of a real world example to get us into our next topic. Let's say that you are an employee at the Milwaukee branch of the Fudgy Wudgy Chocolate Pump Company. All right. Fudgy Wudgy Chocolate Pumps make chocolate pumps that they sell all over the world. And they've got a central office in New York. And you're in the Milwaukee office. You are in the branch office. And you're one of the people that works processing all the sales orders for the Fudgy Wudgy Chocolate Pump Company. Okay? And for years and years, the branch manager has been a guy named Harry. Right? And and they've had a certain system. Right? What happens is the sales guys sell the chocolate pumps. They send the orders into the branch office, and everybody in the branch office, when you get an order, you give the order over to the guy that reviews the orders, Frank. And then Frank reviews them, makes sure they're right, and then he passes them on to the branch manager, Harry. Okay, with me? That's the process. It's how they've done it for years and years. All right, well, one day, one day, Harry, the branch manager, resigns. Says, I'm retiring, or I'm going to somewhere else. So home office puts a different guy in. They put John in as the branch manager. So John is now the branch manager at the Fudgy Wudgy Chocolate Pump branch office in Milwaukee. And John comes in and he looks at this system and he says, you know, I know we've been doing this this way for all these years, but I'm going to change stuff up. And so from now on, when these orders come in, I don't want them going to Frank. I want them going to Bill. And, you know, you're, maybe you're one of these employees and you're sitting there thinking, Bill's a moron. I, we, we, what do I want to do? If, if we send these things over to Bill, he's going to screw all these things up. You know, we, we, we've been doing this. We've been, we've been giving them to Frank all these years. Why wouldn't you give them to Frank? And the boss says, I, oh, and you saw, you, you kind of go in and say, boss, you know, this is the way we've been doing this for all these years. And the boss says, I know it's how we've been doing it all these years, but I'm in charge, and we're going to do something differently. So when the orders come in, you don't give them to Frank, you give them to Bill. All right? So got the scenario there? Well, imagine if the employees, they didn't think this was smart. They didn't think it was a good idea. So what employees started to do was, we know this is the process and this is the procedure, but we don't like it, or we don't think it's right, or we don't think this is rational. So they started not following those orders. 
and trying to undermine the thing, saying, well, we know when these orders come in, we're supposed to give them to the new guy, but we're not going to do that. We're going to keep doing like we did before because we think that that's better and we think the boss is misguided. Well, would those employees be right in doing that? Do they ha- have this, this higher purpose? And, you know, and they, maybe they are right. Maybe the new guy isn't going to be as good as the old guy at figuring out, you know, what you need to do with these orders. But it doesn't matter. The boss says this is the way it's going to be done. Right. Well, if you just decide then to take it upon yourself to not follow those orders, what's going to happen? Well, are, are you a hero to the company for standing up and saying, well, I mean, I know I was told to do this, but I know better, so I'm not going to follow instructions? Or are you insubordinate and should you be out on your butt? All right, now I would argue that most people in that situation, even if you think you know better than the boss and you think the new rule is a dumb rule, and even if you're right, you're still insubordinate. That's what happens with the boss. The boss gets to decide how to to do these things. Right, well, that in a microcosm is what is going on with this op-ed piece in the New York Times. I read it yesterday. I I think many of you have heard about it before. Look, there is no question in the Trump administration that Donald Trump operates as president like he operated as a businessman on the whole notion of kind of the chaos theory. All right? Is he erratic? Yeah, I, I think he is erratic. Is Would he be a difficult person to work for? Absolutely. Would I want to work for him? No, I wouldn't. Um, is he prone to fits of anger? And is he perhaps flighty as far as changing his mind and things like that? Yeah, he, he is all of that. I concede all of that. But this op-ed piece that appeared in the New York Times, supposedly written by somebody within the Trump administration, says he's all those different types of things, and then goes on to talk about how the writer and others in the administration are actively trying to sabotage. Now, that's my word, but that's essentially what it's saying. Sabotage the orders by ignoring orders that the president gives, um, colluding, I'll use that word, between themselves to say, well, we know the president wants to do this, and we know he said he's going to do this, but we don't, we don't think this is a good thing, so we're not going to, we're not going to do it because we end up disagreeing with that. And I, I was, we were talking about this, this yesterday in the broader sense of the, the deep state and things like that. And I got a couple texts and or emails from people saying that they think that the person who wrote this op-ed piece is essentially an American hero. That if, if you see something that's going on, if you're a bureaucrat and you see something that's going on in this country that you think is fundamentally wrong, you have every right and almost an obligation as a citizen to do everything you can to try to thwart that thing that you believe is wrong. To which I say, no, I I couldn't disagree more. Now, let's assume for the sake of argument that the boss, the president, isn't asking you to do something illegal. Now, that if, if we're talking about something that's illegal, that's a whole different story. But if it is a matter of policy and you're a, a bureaucrat and the new administration has come in and they have changed the policy, this is how we are going to handle that. I think, honorably, you have a couple different options. One is you follow the instructions because 
you haven't been elected to make the policy. The president has. If you can't, if you disagree with the policy, I think you have every right to try to go to your boss or the president, whoever it is, and try to convince them that the change is not good. Hey, we shouldn't be having John review these things instead of Frank. Frank's better at doing it. You have every right to go and try to argue your point. But at the end of the day, once that decision is made, I think you owe a duty of loyalty to your employer, to the boss, whatever, to either follow the orders at the end of the day or alternatively, if you feel that you can't because of your own moral views or whatever, you have an obligation to resign. But I think trying to work inside and actively undermine policies, and I don't care whether it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George Bush or Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan or Lyndon Johnson, working behind the scenes to actively and proudly try to undermine the elected president of the United States, I think is cowardly. The president throws around the words treasonous. I don't think it's treason, but it's nothing to be proud of. And the people, the person that wrote this, if he's truly, or she, is truly working to undermine the president from within, they're not an American hero at all. They are an insubordinate self-righteous employee with delusions of grandeur. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, for one, would have a lot more respect. If you want to quit and, and you want to do you know an Omarosa, I worked in the Trump administration for a year and a half. I think it's disaster. I think it's chaotic. Uh, look at some of these policies. I, I just couldn't carry them out. All right. I get it. You quit. And then, you know, if you want to voice those things, that's fine. But actively trying to undermine the president of the United States, again, I, I think you're a self-righteous jerk. Who elected you to make those decisions? And it's the same analysis that I use when we talk about, all right, some of these military folks who decide that we're going to leak documents. I'm going to take these classified documents and I'm going to make them public because I think the public has a right to know. Well, no, you don't get to make that choice. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let us tee this up. The, the person or people working in the Trump administration who apparently are actively working to undermine, delay, refuse to follow out instructions by the president because they think they know better, are they heroes or, uh, again, are they insubordinate employees who really should quit? Four one four seven nine or be fired. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We're back to discuss in just a moment. It's twelve forty five. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Twelve forty seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's one of our texts. Obama said today about the op-ed. That's not how our democracy is supposed to work. These people aren't elected. They're not accountable. Uh, let's see another text. What if Trump decides he wants to invade Poland? Are we as a country supposed to follow along? Seems like this has happened before. Lodestar is definitely a patriot. No, no, Lodestar isn't. All right. So, I mean, there there are procedures. President Trump has been elected to office. If If people disagree with what he wants to do, there are procedures to remove him from office. That's why elections matter. 
do we really want a situation where every unaccountable bureaucrat or political appointee thinks that they can take it upon themselves to decide what government policy should be? Gee, I just don't think this is a good thing. I don't like the idea of um, imposing these tariffs. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to process the tariff stuff or we're going to hide this or we're going to delay that. I, that's who elected you to make that particular decision. And like I say, I mean, to me, I think it's an, an ultimate act of, of, of incredible self-gratification and self-importance to think that you have the right to do it. Now, to me, the honorable thing, like I say, to do is if you're that bureaucrat or that appointee and you think the country's going to you know where in a handbasket and you think these policies are dangerous and that you can't in good conscience carry them out, well, then what you do is you do what, for example, some people did during the Johnson administration in Vietnam. You resign. And then, you know, you then you talk about it and then you go to the American people and you make your case. But you don't you don't undermine the person that you are supposed to be working for. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Uh Denny in Wapaka, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff. I I am not sold on your argument. I understand exactly I am an employer, by the way, I have fifty three staff, but I'm also a veteran who studied nuclear chemical and biological warfare and particularly if we were attacked by the Russians in the late 60s and early 70s. And the game changes when you when you are someone who thinks that your leader may, and I'm not saying he is or isn't, but if you're saying he is off balance or does not understand the seriousness of his actions, and then your argument is, well, quit and take it public. Well, our nation's so split right now that you can take it public, but there are people out there that are going to dislike the president no matter what he does, or they're going to like him no matter what he does. But I guess and, my question, I, I, but my question though, Danny, is who gets to make that decision? Okay, so I'm a I'm a mid level or a low level bureaucrat or an appointee or whatever. I, I'm 35th on the chain of command in a in a given department, and I think, boy, I disagree with this policy, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do I have a right to then say, okay, I know better than everybody else, so I'm going to try to work to undermine this? I mean, I mean, who, do we really want everybody that's a mid-level bureaucrat? Do you want every one of your employees trying to undermine decisions you make? No, and I didn't say that either. I said when you're dealing with nuclear weapons, I don't care about almost anything else. But I studied it, and if you have somebody, now I'm not saying the president right. is or isn't capable. But somebody there feels he's not capable. And then you have to make a decision. This is, you know, these are world-ending decisions. And what can I do And to say, I don't know, it's a tough decision on their part. I'm an employer. I agree with you. I'd like people to come to me. I think that's a tough question when you get to nuclear weapons. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess, but again, I go back to think. Who who makes that decision? And let's let's go back to the the whole thing, the flap we've had the last couple of years, where you have the, these individual low level bureaucrats um, who decide that they're going to go public with classified information that's come into their hands. And, and my point has been, you don't get to make that decision. You know that that's we have a process, and in, in this particular case, the you know President Trump was elected as the president of the United States. If people, if, if there is evidence to believe that he is mentally unstable and unfit, and we might actually talk about that in the next hour of the program, you know, there's provisions to re- remove him. There's provisions, uh, again, you, you have for impeachment and things like that. But I, I mean, I guess I don't want 
mid-level bureaucrats. I don't want everybody around making everybody thinking, well, I should be empowered. I know better. I know better than the president. I know better than my bosses. I disagree with this. So here, I'm going to work actively to undermine what's going on. I just, again, I think that is a cowardly way to go about things. And I, I mean that sincerely. If you, you work to change the system from within, if you can't, and then you feel in good conscience that you you can't proceed. We're escalating the war in Vietnam. I think in good conscience that that is wrong. Well, then the honorable thing to do is to resign as opposed to say, okay, this is what the policy of our government is going to be. I'm going to continue to take paychecks, work for the Johnson administration, but then actively and secretly try to undermine what the person I am supposed to be loyal to is doing. And this comes from the perspective, again, from somebody who has been a critic of President Trump from time to time on issues where I think he's he's been wrong, but... I, this, you know, he talks a lot about the deep state, and when he talks about deep state, what he means is embedded bureaucrats, Obama holdovers, government employees who are actively out there trying to undermine the agenda. And there's a lot of people who try to like poo-poo that. Well, this is this is the deep state at it, at its finest. Now, in this case, it's a deep state from somebody who says he claims to be, or she claims to be, you know, a political appointee of Trump, but. If you're going to sign up for this, I, I think you follow the instructions of your, your boss. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Milton. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, I, I think I agree with most of what you're saying. The big point for me is that this individual is not elected to their position. And so for them to, on their own, make decisions about you know what's important and what I'm going to change and what I'm going to give to President Trump and what I'm going to slow down and what I'm going to do, that, that just makes no sense to me. It's not what our democracy is based on. Whether you agree or disagree with the president and his politics, he was elected, duly elected to that position. And for this person to take the type of responsibility they have is, is just wrong. Right, you're right, exactly. Now, again, if you, and again, we're, we're, let's, we're, we're assuming that you're not being asked to do something that's illegal. That's it. Then, then you get into the whistleblower. This is just somebody who disagrees with the policy. I, I don't think we should be doing this. I think this is the wrong way to handle, you know, our, our dealings with Europe or whatever. I, I, look, I respect that. But to me, the honorable thing to do then is instead of whining and then trying to undermine it, well, then you say, I can't do this in good conscience, and then you leave the administration, and then if you want to take pot shots from the outside, well, stand in line. There's a lot of people to do it. But if you're going to work for somebody, I think you deserve, I think they deserve your loyalty, at least to the extent that you're going to carry out your instructions. Well, and the, the real question would be, let's say this person does not carry out instructions, and there's some consequence, something goes wrong. Right. This person, do you really believe this person is going to step forward if they're anonymous at this point is going to step forward and say, oh, right. I made a mistake and this was the consequence? That's kind of the... Yeah, the, yeah. maybe I was really wrong. Maybe portion of what they're doing. Right, maybe maybe wrong. the president was right on this after all. Thanks, right, I mean, that's... And again, that's... It's why, you know, Harry Truman had the thing that says, you know, the buck stops here. Because you know, ultimately, he's the one that's responsible. And at some point in time... Whether it's if he runs for re-election in 2020 
or if there's efforts to impeach him or whatever, at some point in time, there, there's going to be, you know, a degree of accountability. That's one of the things that you've got Democrats running on in these midterms. Hey, we, we need to have Democratic control of the House and the Senate because we need more checks and balances on, on President Trump. And, and that's all well and good. And this is not intended as a defense necessarily of the policies. And I, I understand that the, I mean, I'm the guy that says the Trump management style strikes me as being kind of like the Wreck-It Ralph cartoons. I mean, it's just I, I he's like a bull in a china shop. I'm not sure there is any consistency in the policies. But you know what? I, I don't know that this is any different than people saw when they ended up electing him. And as we often say, elections have consequences. Bottom line here is. I just think this was a cowardly way to go about it, and I'd have a lot more respect. I don't think this person is a patriot at all. I'd have a lot more respect if they simply said, hey, we don't like what's going on here. We think these policies are going to be disastrous. We didn't want to be a part of carrying them out. I have resigned my job, and here I'm now going to be a critic on the outside. That would be the honorable thing to do. This is not. When we come back... How much more of this MMSD dumping, seriously, are we going to take around here before, whether it's liberal environmentalists or conservatives who care about the environment or families who want to enjoy the lakefront without having to worry about something from somebody's toilet bobbing up, how much more of this are we going to take before we say we got to do something about this dumping? Stick around. 1257. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric Bilstein, Packers, Packers Bears game Sunday night. Do you know what other event is going on Sunday night? It's going to be televised. Non-sport related? Non-sport related. I'm going to guess the Emmys? The Emmys. You would be wrong, but okay. Crew, do you know what a non-sporting event is going on Sunday night? Oh, okay. If you had not looked at my show plan that I sent out, would you have known? Oh no, that's okay. No, no, no. Wait. Oh, right. Yes. Looking at my look, looking at the show plan where I sent out where I was telling people what I might discuss. It is the Miss America pageant. Ah, the okay. Miss America. We are the Miss America pageant is is going to be um, is going to be held Sunday night. Matter of fact, they're already doing the preliminaries in Atlantic Ooh. City. Um, it, it's it's interesting. I I, had, I pulled up the numbers because I was curious about this in its. Okay, in its heyday, in 1970, 70,000 women competed in local, state, and national Miss America pageants. They don't call it a pageant anymore. It's not a contest. Mm -hmm. 70,000. You know how many? Take a guess as to how many participated last year. 15? 15,000? 4,000. 4,000. Wow. 4,000. Just the bottom fell out of it. At its heyday... Now, and I mean, I understand for almost everything, viewership is going down because you have more choices and stuff. But at its heyday, um, the Miss America pageant used to be one of the highest rated television programs for the year. Mm-hmm. For, for the year, um, they typically drew about 60 million people back in the 60s. Um, ratings last year, you want to take a guess, is how many million? Three. Five. But okay. you're close, ballpark. In, in any event. See, this is what I was going to ask you. But, I mean, we, we're going to talk about it. About 20 minutes, we're going to talk about the Miss America contest, not a pageant anymore, and whether it's outlived its usefulness. But, all right, but as long as I have you here, let me, let me ask another question okay. here. All right. I'm not a boat guy. Are you, you're not a boat guy. Oh, either. I know. I love being on boats. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. Well, good. This, this is even better. So let's assume 
that you decide, you and your wife decide that you want to invite me and my wife and Grew and Mrs. Grew out, out, you, you, let's assume you own a boat that's big enough. I don't know what it has to be, 2023, whatever, uh, big enough. So we're going to go out on Lake Michigan for a day. You're okay. going to invite us. Okay. All so right. there's six of us. Now, be, because it's going to be sort of mixed company, let us also assume that your boat is big enough that you've got one of those like marine toilets. You know, the, yes. the like the, little, the portable toilets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just doing some checking. Again, I'm not a boat guy, but the, you know, the, the portable toilets, you can get them in different sizes, but generally they're about two gallon type of things, sure. right? Yep, yep. And so, you know, if it's guys, it might be different, but women, you know, you want, you know, a little bit more privacy. Right. A little bit more privacy. Okay. So there, there's the six of us and we're out in your boat and we're in Lake Michigan. And for whatever reason, the portable toilet is getting some use, right? And we notice that the portable toilet is, is now filled. I don't mean to be too graphic, but it's it's now this little portable toilet is filled. All right? So we're wrestling with this idea. Okay, we're, we're out. We're in Lake Michigan. The portable toilet is filled. Um, and so you and I, Gru would never do this type of stuff. So you and I kind of look at each other, and we're thinking, God, our, our wives are going to be unhappy about this particular thing, but we're not mm-hmm. ready to go home. So you and I decide, okay, we're going to dump the portable toilet into Lake Michigan. Sure. All right, we got yeah. we got two gallons of untreated waste, and we, we're just we're you know we 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 love the environment and we love Lake Michigan, but at the same time, you know if if we don't do something like this, it's going to be a bad situation. So you and I kind of surreptitiously <laughs> dump two gallons from your portable toilet yeah. on your boat into Lake Michigan. Okay, all right. Now I'm just kind of curious. You're a news guy and you're aware of this. What do you think would happen if the Coast Guard or other people saw us dumping two gallons of untreated waste from this little portable toilet into Lake Michigan? See, I I would like to think the Coast Guard would try to look the other way and not be interested in our dumping of just number one, which I'm assuming that's what it would be. No, no, it's one. number one and number two. Well, I mean, it's important number two on a boat. Well, if you got to do number two on a boat, you're doing it. I guess. I, <laughs> all right, all right. I, I would, oh, okay. I, I mean, would like to think they're busier doing other things that they would try to look the other way if they saw us doing that. Okay. Well, that would be optimistic. I am here to tell you, and, and this is an, this is free legal advice for a recovering lawyer here. If you're out in Lake Michigan and you're thinking of dumping one of those portable toilets into Lake Michigan, do not <laughs> do that because you are going to have, figuratively speaking, the world is going to fall down yep, on yep. you for polluting Lake Michigan. But, okay, you, you would like to think that they would look the other way. I would hope so. Right. Well, that I'll tell you, that's not the case. You're, 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 just, you're going to get a fine like you've never believed, and, and, you're, and you're probably going to find your name all over the different uh, in the newspapers and all over as being the guy that's polluting Lake Michigan because you dumped, you know, your, your two gallons of whatever – um, number one and number two into into Lake <laughs> Michigan. You're going to have the weight of the world come down on you. All right. So, and and, and maybe that's appropriately so. You shouldn't be dumping, you know, untreated well, waste into Lake Michigan. How do you know? Have you done this? How do you oh, know? don't you follow the stories? You look at the fines. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, I have not done this. But I'm not a boat guy. That's why I brought you in as a boat guy. I'm not a boat guy. Um, having said all that, the weight of the world will come down on you if you dump those two gallons. All right. Do you know how many dumpings MMSD has done at least before the last big rain this well, year? They've had five this year. Right. I think right. there might have, there's, I think there's been six, but there's been five as of the other day, but then we had Since the rain. We've had all the rain. Yeah. Right. Five. Um, 
we don't know. I, I will tell you this. The fourth one that they had, which they did last week, the 27th, the 29th, that was almost 300 million gallons of untreated wastewater, which, I mean, it's it's a mix of stormwater and sewage. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like I say, I okay, if I'm in a bathtub, I... You know, I, I don't want somebody pooping in the bathtub, you know, because it's, it's going to affect the, sure. the whole thing. You're with me on that, right? Yep. With you. I, that makes sense. Right, exactly. So 296 gallon, million gallons in that one alone. And yet we continue to do this. All right. Thank you for participating in this. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. When we come back. I, I want to just briefly review the bidding as to how we got here. And then pose a, a very, very serious question. I understand we're kind of doing this in a sort of a flippant way, but a very, very serious question, which is for anybody who cares about the environment, the deep tunnel system is not stopping the overflow of hundreds of millions of gallons of untreated or partially treated wastewater into a wonderful natural resource. And the reason is because the deep tunnel is inherently flawed. It will never be able to be deep enough to deal with this issue when we get a lot of rain, which raises the question of, are we going to continue to do this? Or at some point in time, are we, through litigation or something else, going to force Milwaukee and Shorewood to do what they should have done 20 years ago. Stick around. 414. We'll discuss in just a minute, and I will give you the background if, you, if you're if you kind of new to this whole deep tunnel thing and saying, how did we get this? And then we're going to discuss. It's 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm being swamped with emails and texts from people who are boaters who say the Coast Guard does not give warnings. Jeff, you're right. Don't don't advise anybody to dump a, a portable toilet into Lake Michigan. It will be a bad thing. All right. But again, let me just review the bidding really, really quickly for people who don't understand how we got the deep tunnel. In most parts of our area and in most parts of the country, what you have is you have separated water systems. You have the storm sewers. And, okay, so the rain comes down. It runs off your roof. It goes into the storm sewer, and it then goes into waterways. As a general rule, runoff from storm sewers does not need to be treated. Now, it doesn't hurt to treat it because it it can pick up, you know, I I mean, it it can pick up granules and particles and stuff, so it doesn't hurt to treat it, but it doesn't have to be treated. So you've got in most parts of the area and in most parts of the country, you've got storm sewers, and those are separate from the sanitary sewers. The sanitary sewers are your bath water, your sinks, your toilets, all right, and the stuff that's in them. That needs to be treated. And so what happens in most places is you've got separate storm sewers and sanitary sewers. So when it rains, all right, the stuff goes down into off your roof or whatever. It goes in the storm sewers and it goes gets dumped out. Then you have the sanitary sewers where it has to be treated. And and there there are admittedly there are some problems. Sometimes you have the, the laterals the things that are carrying the sanitary sewer stuff out. Sometimes those pipes develop leaks. So, you know, stormwater runs into the ground and it can leach kind of into the pipes. But but basically, it's two systems. In the 80s, back in southeastern Wisconsin, um, we, we had to devise a, a system. Most parts of this area, 
the storm sewers are separate from the sanitary sewers, except in Shorewood and in parts of Milwaukee. So the rainwater washes in and it hooks up with the sanitary sewers. Now, there was two ways that we could have gone. We could have separated in Milwaukee and in the parts of Milwaukee and in Shorewood. We could have separated the storm sewers and the sanitary sewers. And then what you do is you go ahead and you treat the stuff in the sanitary sewer and you let the storm stuff run off. Or we could have done what we did, which is build this deep tunnel, which is where all the storm water mixes with the sanitary sewers from these areas, and then it goes into the deep tunnel where it is ultimately treated. Because the politicians in Milwaukee and in Shorewood had enough clout that they didn't want to have to have people in Milwaukee and Shorewood pay for the cost of separating the storm and sewers from the sanitary sewers, what they did is they said, okay, we're going to go, we're going to build this deep tunnel process. And so we're going to have all the water that goes into the deep tunnel. The problem, though, is when it rains heavily, and, you know, we've had some heavy rains this year, the deep tunnel isn't deep enough. And the reality is you can never build a tunnel that's going to be deep enough to hold all this stuff. And so what happens is when you get lots and lots of rain like we've had, the deep tunnel fills up. So you have all this water, and the deep tunnel is like a holding tank. But you've got the storm sewer stuff mixed with the sanitary sewer stuff. So the, the people at the deep tunnel, they're, they're faced with a very difficult choice. They, if, they, if they let the deep tunnel fill up, what's going to happen is that stuff has to go somewhere, and it's going to back up into people's basements. Well, you can't have that. I mean, you, that, that's, that's a huge cost, and it's a health risk and all those sorts of things. So what they do is they, they dump. They say, okay, well, the, the tunnel is at 90% capacity. We've got to just open up the gates and let the stuff go out, all right? Which is why, for example, in the, the dump last week, which was the fourth one, they, about 300 million gallons of untreated wastewater, which, again, is a mix of stormwater and sewage, into area waterways. Gee, what's that thing floating? Well, don't touch it, Bobby, because I'll tell you what that thing is. This is always going to happen. And I am not critical of the people at MMSD. I, I'm not. I always say this. this is, it's just because they're, they're in a bad situation. I get it. If I'm the guy at MMSD and I'm looking at it raining like no one needs to build a boat and I'm watching the deep tunnel fill up and my choices are I'm going to back up this sewage into people's basements or I'm going to put it in Lake Michigan, I understand why they make that choice and I don't criticize them for it. But the problem is they are dealing with a deeply flawed solution to this. And the only real way, at least in my opinion, to stop dumping is to stop mixing the sanitary sewer stuff with the storm sewer stuff. Now, the people at Deep Tunnel will say, well, you know, we, we you know, the, the number of dumpings that we've had have been, you know, a lot less over the years. And, and sure, it, I, I get it. If you're going to spend billions of dollars, it, it should, in fact, work. But we are always going to be in this situation where this is happening unless and until we finally say, hey, parts of Milwaukee that have these combined sewers and Shorewood, you're, you're going to have to separate them so we don't have all this storm water that is running into and mixing with the sewage. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I this isn't a criticism of MS, MSD. They do, in my opinion, the best they can with what they have. But But seriously... How concerned are you that we are now, there's been five times this year, 
dumping millions of gallons of untreated wastewater into area waterways. Is this a big deal? Should we be concerned about it? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's 126. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. For years, some have argued that downtown Milwaukee has too many restaurants. Could the same now be true for grocery stores? Gene Miller takes a closer look at 721 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, Gru, we're just getting warmed up. I, I've got this... I have this cold that I'm kind of fighting. I don't think it, it sounds, I don't think I can hear it in my voice, but it's, it's one of those things where I just, I, I just don't feel great. And so I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm looking forward to the end of the show so I can go home and just kind of put my feet up and stuff. But I, I admit it kind of makes me a little bit cranky. And sometimes those cranky shows are the best. Tell McCure, I can do another hour. I've got plenty of material. We are just, we are just getting rolling. Hey, coming up in about 20 minutes or so, some Milwaukee aldermen are upset with what the Milwaukee Fire Department is doing. I will tell you all about that. And Gru, who's producing the show today and always, I would ask you this question, but if you read my show rundown, you know the answer. New estimates are out as to what percentage of Americans don't pay a dime in individual federal income tax. This isn't don't pay tax because you pay Social Security tax or others, but don't pay a dime in federal income tax, individual federal income tax. The estimates are this year it's going to be about 44%. Can you imagine that? More than four out of ten people don't pay a dime in federal income tax. We're going to talk about that in the 2 o'clock hour as well, plus a pop culture corner. If you want to get a head start as to what it's going to be, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 and I've kind of put the link to the pop culture corner story up as well. All right. I was teasing this earlier in the hour with Eric Bilstadt. Uh, this weekend, now, look, Sunday night, almost everybody in Wisconsin, not everybody, but almost everybody, is going to be doing one thing. It is a common experience. We are going to be tuned in and we are going to be listening to and or watching the Packers play the Bears. That's just what's going to happen. There will be something else going on, though. This Sunday, we, that is the organizers, will crown Miss America 2018. It is no longer a pageant. Instead, it is a contest. And you will recall this was the year where the organizers decided, okay, th- this is the year where we have to bring Miss America into the into you know the the into 2018. And so they don't have the swimsuit competition anymore. They don't, and and it's more like a talent competition now. Although my my guess is whoever ends up winning this is still going to be somebody who could probably done well in the previous iteration of the contest. This has created a huge rift in the pageant slash competition community. Lot of people, particularly people who are really invested in this, they're they're now bailing on this. They think that this is not the way to go, and that Miss America, you know, should go back to you know its roots, which was essentially the the pageant competition. Um, meanwhile, some of the newer people say, no, this is the way to go. We need to reflect, you know, America and, and the idea of having women, for example, up there in swimsuits and stuff. That's, that's demeaning, et cetera, et cetera. And we want to, you know, honor people based on their talent and based on their ability to answer questions like, what would you do for world peace or what do you think about people kneeling? Now, it is interesting, and I shared these numbers a little while ago, but it, it kind of caught my attention. Back in the 60s, the Miss America pageant, 
and it's held in Atlantic City. The Miss America pageant was one of the most watched events in a given year. I mean, think the Oscar telecast, things like that. Back in the 60s, for example, it drew 60 million people. And they estimated that this was, at the time, about three out of every four people who were watching TV at the time watched the Miss America pageant. And it was called a pageant back then. Now, that was in the 60s. There were fewer things on. You know, events have, as a general, lost viewership over the years. But, okay, 60 million people in the 1960s. Last, okay, um, by 1984, the number had dropped to about 28 million viewers. Last year, only 5.3 million people watched. So, I mean, you're talking about a substantial decrease. Um, in addition, it's not just fewer people watching but it's fewer people participating. 1970, about 70,000 women competed in state, local, and national Miss America pageants, which is what they were called. Last year, it was fewer than 4,000. So the, the people who want to participate in the pageants, that's dropped off dramatically as well. So the current organizers of the, the competition, again, it's now a contest, it's a competition, They've decided we we need to just change this dramatically if we're going to continue to make it relevant. All right. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will these various changes that they are making, will this revive the, the Miss America competition? Or is this just, what's the word I'm looking for, an anachronism? Is, is, is this just something that's, that has run its course? We see things that run their course all the time. And, you know, they're, they're really popular for a while, and then people lose interest in them. Is the Miss America pageant still, or contest, or whatever you want to call it, is it still relevant? Are these changes going to help? Or is this, is this competition, whatever you want to call it, pageant, is it on its last legs, and within the next couple of years, will it just fade away? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I would be particularly interested in hearing from some of you who who have watched it over, over the years, because obviously there were a lot of people who did it, not as many anymore, but there were a lot of people who did it. it is, has Miss America run its course? We discuss next. And by the way, the show is at 8 o'clock on Sunday night. Who's going to be watching that instead of the Packers unless you've got a kid that's in it? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. While most of us are going to be watching the Chicago Bears play our Green Bay Packers on Sunday night, there will be some people who are watching the Miss America contest. It's not a beauty pageant anymore. It is a contest. Miss America's made all these different changes. Viewership has cratered over the last several years. Participation in the whole contest, 70,000 women um, participated in the 1970s. That's down to just a, a few thousand now. They're trying to make it relevant. Is this going to succeed or are we looking at I don't know, the dinosaur grappling in the tar pit. Let's talk to Michelle and Grafton. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Well, you're spot on. I'm about your age, and I remember when I was um, younger, my dad, who is no longer with us, um, 
he, we would sit there and he would watch them walk across the stage. And I am not kidding you. He would pick the winner when they walked <laughs> the 50 girls. And I'd be like, you don't know. Dad, how can you even tell? They're just walking across the stage. And he said, that's the winner. And he'd walk out of the room and go watch sports in another room. <laughs> and this year, one of the doctors that I work with, Scott Jorgensen, his daughter is Miss Georgia. She went to school in Georgia. Okay. And Annie Jorgensen is Miss Georgia. And I work with him still, and he's already in Atlantic City with his wife. And uh, they have groomed this girl since she was two. Um, she's been in every freaking contest for pageant in the universe. But if you see her, she uh, was a journalism major and is brilliant. So I kind of, I told my mom I'm going to come down on Sunday, and my mom's a diehard Packer fan. My parents had season tickets. So we'll have the Packers on in one room. <laughs> I said, Mom, we're going to watch them walk across the stage. If Dad was with, with us, he'd, he'd, he'd pick out the winner. Whether or not to pick Joy. I said, if she makes the top ten, then we, we'll watch. Oh, okay, well, let me ask you this, Michelle. Up. If you didn't know somebody. No, I would not. Okay, I right. would, no, no, Jeff. I would right. be watching the Packer game. I'll still have it on the radio. My mom will still have it on the radio. Right. And if she doesn't make the top ten, sorry. Got it. Thanks for calling. Well, see, I understand I mean, obviously, if you know somebody that's in it, I, I get it. You know, you want or you, you know, you, you, you want to root them on. I mean, I understand that. But short of that, I just, I mean, five million people. Now, five million people is a lot of people. But in the grand scheme of things, considering that this was once one of the biggest things around. Here's a text. Jeff, even if my daughter was in it, I might still have to watch the Packers-Bears game. See, th- this is, and, and I guess. There's these huge stories. One of the reasons I bring this up is there's these huge stories in the national media about the the, the Miss America competition pageant, whatever you want to call it, about these rival groups, because you've got a lot of the traditionalists who think that the the new breed that's making all these different changes, that they're just they're going to destroy it. And then you've got the new breed who's saying, well, look at what's been going on. This this is we're, we're in this decline. We're trying to figure out something we can do to make it relevant in 2018. My take on this is if you want to if you want to see the Miss America pageant, maybe you want to set the DVR because I I just I will be stunned if five years from now there's still a Miss America pageant. I mean, I I just I will. I think that and again, I I don't know that it's it's the swimsuits or the competitions. It it just the Miss America, the, the whole idea of the beauty contests and the pageants, it strikes me as, again, it's it's an anachronism. It's something that belongs in a different time, and these efforts to try to make it relevant. All right, here, well, we 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 don't want to show the the gals in the swimsuits or something like that because we think it's demeaning or whatever. Okay, that that's fine. But the truth is that that was why lots of people tuned in to watch it. And if you start to change the things, I mean, seriously, are, are people going to tune in to see? I don't know uh, a twenty year old gal from North Dakota ask. Well, this, this is my answer to, you know, world peace, or this is what I think we need to do to, this is how we handle the, the kneeling controversy. I mean, she's entitled to her opinion, and she might be right or wrong or whatever, but, I mean, is that really going to move the needle and get people to watch? And, and my guess is no. You have stuff which is really, really big o- over the years. And, you know, we've, you know we, we've seen that around here. I mean, you had, whether it was the local golf tournament or whether it was the circus parade or with, uh, the holiday parade, it just announced that that was, was ending. You've had all these different things. They're really popular for a while, and, and then they, end up, they, they go. The Miss America pageant has had a great run, but it seems to me it's on its last legs. But if you want to check it out, ABC Sunday Night 
me, I'm watching the Packers and Bears. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is breaking news from the entertainment world. Drew, who's producing the show. You a fan of Project Runway? You ever watch Project Runway? You and Mrs. Grew watch it all the time. I, this is one where my wife, Fran, will just walk in and I will have it on and she won't get it. But I, I, I mean, yes, I, I've been watching Project Runway for years. For those of you who don't know what, and I don't know what it is that appeals to me about it, but what they do, it's a competition where they take a bunch of wannabe fashion designers and that they put them together, they bring them to New York, and then every week they have a different sort of competition where they have to make some article of clothing. And sometimes it's it's out of like sometimes they give them garbage bags, it, and it, it's it's just amazing to watch. And of course, th- there's two appeals. One is th- that these people put together the, these clothing, and then they have a, a runway show at the end, and you have the judges that that evaluate it, and they send somebody home every week. And the fascination, I guess, it's twofold. First of all, it's all right, what what are you going to make? And, you know, I mean, I just, I love, and they, they have a very limited time to do it. And a lot of these designers are extremely talented, and that's part of it. And secondly, they they cast, as these as these shows do, they, they cast for controversy. And so you always have, you always have people who are just kind of backstabbing and just whiny and complainers. And, and it's just, and it, it, again, it, it's it's a guilty pleasure you watch the thing and you go, gosh, I can't believe I'm watching it. But it's, but it's sort of fun and to see them do that. And I admit, I, I watch Project One Runway. Well, the announcement is that, uh, that Heidi Klum, who is the supermodel, she's been the host of Project One Runway from, for years. And Tim, from the beginning, and Tim Gunn, who is the, he's the, the fashion expert and he's the mentor. He's the guy that works with the, the designers and tries to tell them that just isn't going to work. You need to improve and stuff. They're leaving. They're bailing on the show. They're going to, uh, let's see, it announced today Amazon Prime Video announced that uh, Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn are going to be developing a new reality fashion series, which um, will combine content with commerce, whatever that means, um, but it's going to be on um, Prime Video. So another example of, you know, Amazon kind of taking over the world. Melissa Barkley, are you a fan of Project Runway? You ever watch Project Runway? 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 Run, 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 I don't watch that. Okay, so you mean Gru and I, we watch Project Runway and, and you don't. And huh? I don't. That's that, very odd. We're shattering stereotypes <laughs> there. Well, I, again, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the show. And it's, it's, again, it's one of these things. It's like a lot of these reality shows. To me, part of the appeal isn't just the talent of the people. They do have some talented people, but it's, they, they, they cast for controversy. So you have all these people that are backstabbing mm-hmm. and you wouldn't think that the world of, of fashion could be fascinating, but but it is. Now, I haven't gotten my wife on board with this. She will walk in and she'll just kind of say, huh. huh that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, huh. You're, I married this man who's watching Project Runway, but I also watch Gold Rush and Bering Sea Gold and Swamp People and all those other well, things. Well, all I have to say is at least you're not watching Bachelor in Paradise. I, I, <laughs> oh, wait, I, are you? No, no, oh, okay, no, 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 no. I, I will say this. As much junk TV as I watch, and Lord knows I watch a lot of junk TV, I am very proud of the fact that I've never seen one episode of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, or any of any, those. I've never, oh. for some reason, I'll watch guys shoot alligators in the swamp all the time, but you know, Bachelor, Bachelorette <laughs> does nothing. <laughs>
for me. I, 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 okay. Well, I think it's good you keep it that way because they're not very good. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, there's there's nothing like going catching a gator in the in the Louisiana swamp to make you feel better about your life. All right, when we come back in just a couple minutes, some Milwaukee aldermen are upset with the fire department. A follow-up on a story we talked about the other day out of Wauwatosa, and then we're going to kind of lighten it up. We're going to talk about restaurants and tipping, and then, of course, um, we've got Pop Culture Corner coming up in just a couple minutes. If you want a head start on that, follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 at Twitter because um, I've got the link to what we're going to be talking about. Stick around. It's all coming up. 159 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, I went and did it in that last segment of the program. What did you do? Well, okay, somebody was pointing out to me during the break. I was talking about, we were talking about the Miss America contest, and it's on Sunday night. Now, of course, nobody around here is going to be watching the Miss America contest. Right, because you've got Packers Bears, right. And, And I, during the segment, I had said, that you know, people will either be listening to or watching. But I apparently said I was going to be watching the Packers Bears games. And somebody said, "You work for the radio station. You mean you're not going to be listening to the Packers Bears games?" Yeah. Well, oh, but, but all right, yeah. You okay. can. Well, I guess if you're in your car well, or something. You well, can. no, actually, th- this is. And I say I want. I am always honest, perfectly honest with people. I cannot stand. And I have done topics. I and, and you you know this crew who's been doing this with me for a couple of years now. I cannot stand Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. I refuse to listen to them when they when the Packers are playing on Fox, and um, I, I will I will definitely in those situations I turn down the sound and I turn on the radio. And I, I don't I don't say this just because you know I work at WTMJ. I think Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarran do an absolutely tremendous job. They do. And as a practice, I have gone as far as there is a bar that I occasionally go to to watch Packers games on Sunday afternoons. And they accommodate me by turning down the sound and putting on the radio. And they will do that. Um, now, all right, tomorrow night, it's going to be, uh, Chris Collinsworth and, um, Al, Al Michaels. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I will certainly listen to us at halftime. I may or may not as well, just because it's a little bit inconvenient, but, but I'm just honest. But I, I do, I do love, that's the best way to take in the Packers games, if you can do it, is to listen to Wayne and Larry and then watch it on TV. So Absolutely. You get both, and the, the Brewers both too. The Brewers and the Packers both. Oh, well, well, yeah, I mean, you, well, especially when Euchre's call. Wait, I'm sorry. Then somebody will say, well, don't you like <laughs> Jeff and Lane? I love <laughs> Jeff and Lane. Yeah. Right? They, they all do a very, mm. very good job. But Bob Euchre, I mean, he's legendary. And so that's it. So, I will be, for anybody who might have misunderstood that, let me be clear, I will be watching the Packers game on television. It airs on today's TMJ4, our sister TV station, and I will in all likelihood have the sound turned down, and I will, through the speakers of my home sound system, be listening to the call on the radio. And that is the way everybody should do that. All right, just on record there. Thank you. Okay. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the last half hour of today's show, hour of today's show included. We, we lighten it up as we typically do on Friday afternoons. But I, before that, I, there's an interesting story on, on, uh, Fox 6. And I kind of wanted to get your reaction to it because I, I thought the reaction of Milwaukee elected officials was interesting. Let me back into this. You will remember several months ago that you had Milwaukee aldermen who were outraged that you had various contractors, employees of contractors who were doing work in the city of Milwaukee, and the contractors, the subs, the, the actual workers, were showing up, and they had firearms with them. They were concealed carrying guns 
onto the work site. And you'll remember you had a couple of these Milwaukee aldermen who were just absolutely outraged about this because they thought it gave the wrong impression. Well, what does it look like if employees think that they need to bring guns to job sites? To which my point was, who cares what it looks like? Deal with the reality. I mean, you know, look, what, who's the guy behind the curtain? The thing behind the curtain is the fact that these people, these employees feel unsafe having to go to certain areas of the city of Milwaukee, and so they carry guns. It's not that, gee, the optics look bad that they're carrying guns. It's why do they feel they need to protect themselves in the first place? But you had these aldermen who were just upset at the appearance. This looks terrible. It looks like it's dangerous. Well, you know, no kidding. It is dangerous. That's why they're doing it. But you had this huge controversy, and again, some of the contractors ended up uh, losing gigs and stuff in Milwaukee. And, of course, this is the alderman, at least some alderman. This is the way of dealing with it. We're just going to... How dare you say that it might be dangerous and people need guns to defend themselves? We're just going to pretend, you know, nothing to see here. Just ignore this. The same sort of story came to mind the other night. Again, this um, was was on Fox 6 the other day. The Milwaukee Fire Department has, whenever there is a fire, you have to make various decisions as to what you are going to do. And that is, do you go into the building? You know, what are you going to do? And part of that, especially in Milwaukee, where you have as many vacant buildings as you have, the question becomes, all right, a a building is on fire. Um, Is the building structurally compromised? You know, is it safe to send firefighters in, et cetera? So, what the city of Milwaukee has started doing, and this is, you remember there's a story a couple of weeks ago, we talked about these black pastors from uh, Milwaukee who were upset that they got stopped by the Waukesha County Sheriff's deputy on the road. They were coming back from fishing, and they had a um, they had a, a blowout of the tire, and they were towing a fishing boat, and the deputy came up and asked them some questions, and they were had this press conference alleging it was racism, and I thought that was just completely and totally BS. But one of the things that the deputy did is they put an orange sticker on the back of the vehicle that was broken down by the side of the road. The reason you put the orange sticker on is to tell other deputies This has been checked out. Somebody's been here. You don't need to stop. Well, according to Fox 6, the Milwaukee Fire Department has started going through abandoned homes in the city of Milwaukee, and there are a lot of abandoned homes. And what they are doing is they are putting placards up on the homes. Now, the placard is it's a square. And it's got like orange, an orange border. And then the placards either have a diagonal slash or they have two diagonal slashes like an X. The placards are posted um, as part of the fire department's vacant structure placarding program. Now, why would be they be doing this? Well, what they're doing is apparently They are posting these placards on these abandoned homes to keep firefighters safe. Assign a placard with one slash means that the building is compromised and that crews should enter with caution, right? So if there's a fire at this place, the fire truck arrives, you see that this has been checked out, there's the placard on the outside, and it's got the slash, 
It means there's problems structurally with this vacant building. Be careful if you are going in. There are other abandoned homes that have an X on them, you know, the two slashes, and that means the building is unsafe to enter. Don't go in there unless there is a known life safety hazard in the area. So obviously if you get a report that, that there's somebody in there, well, okay, then then you go in. But but otherwise don't. <laughs> That's what it's saying. It's otherwise it's saying, hey look, this is the building is compromised. It is unsafe to enter. And so they're putting these up on on vacant buildings. And these are the most dilapidated buildings that you're going to find in, in the city. Okay? Now you, you might hear that and you might think, okay, well gee that that makes sense. You you want the firefighters to know what they're getting into when they arrive at the scene of a fire. I mean, that's that's kind of my take on this. Well, here you have one of the Milwaukee aldermen, Bob Bauman, who is almost always wrong. Um, here's what he says to Fox 6. I have big problems with this. This is essentially putting a scarlet letter on a lot of the properties in our neighborhood. He says, you put this up there, and it's saying open season. Come over, get what you can out of the house. Strip the last copper, the last pipe, the last radiator. He also says it basically means we're saying that we're going to stand by and let it burn down. I find that extremely troubling. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is another example of just how out of control the city of Milwaukee has gotten. The problem isn't, seems to me, that you've got the fire department that is marking houses, telling firefighters if it's safe to go into an abandoned building or not. The problem is that you've got these dilapidated abandoned buildings. All right, that, that's Bob Bauman. He's complaining. Well, well, gee, we've got this placarding thing. It's it's making the city look bad, for goodness sakes. And it's saying you've got these vacant buildings and all this that's out there. I mean, we're we're putting a scarlet letter on a lot of properties in our neighborhood. Yeah, well, yes, you are. But but if the building is unsafe, deal with the building. Don't we want the firefighters knowing? That, hey, if this thing is burning, it's unsafe to go in, or there's a structural problem and you need to be careful going in, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and, and by the way, um, for, to, to the argument about, hey, well, gee, you know, th- this is just putting a sign up saying, here, come and, you know, strip the thing. My guess is the people who are out there doing that, probably have a good idea which buildings are abandoned and which buildings aren't. They're not waiting to see if it's got a placard up or not. Like maybe all the boarded up windows and stuff like that, maybe it would be a clue. This is just a public safety matter. And once again, you have, in this case, elected officials, it seems to me, putting cosmetics, optics over public safety. Let's start with Chris in West Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Hi, or Chris. afternoon, rather. Hi, Chris. Um, I was saying pretty much the same thing. The, the sign, I mean, the signage doesn't have to be there for them to know that the building is empty. The boarded up windows and doors pretty much announces that fact. And if anything, it's, it may help keep them even, the, uh, the would-be thieves safer, because if they see the X there, they might think, well, maybe this isn't one that we should really bother with. <laughs> and as far as watching it burn, I mean, if it's got, if it's so structurally 
unsafe, it's probably not going to be rehabbed, and it's going to have to be demolished at some point. And so watching it burn safely is going to be far more logical than trying to save it and then have to tear it down. Well, well, right, or, or risking somebody's life by going into a structurally unsound building. I mean, look, I, I, I understand that if you're living on a block, Chris, where you've got three or four of the, these vacant buildings, you, you probably don't want to see the placards up there. But the bigger issue is we've got these vacant, unsafe buildings that are up here. The least of your worries is whether it's got a placard with a slash on it or not. Well, that's true. I mean, like I said, the boarded up windows and doors pretty much announces the fact that one more signage that indicates that it's safe or not safe right. to enter isn't going to really make a whole lot of difference at no, that point. Right. No, thank, I, exactly. And that's, that's why, again, this is another example. And, and unfortunately, this is too common in the city of Milwaukee where you have people that are worried about the optics. Well, how does it look? How does it look if those contractors have guns because they feel unsafe? It might give the impression the area is unsafe. Well, maybe they're carrying the guns because the area is, in fact, unsafe. All right, how does it look if we have vacant, boarded-up, abandoned houses that have a mark from the fire department saying if they're structurally unsound? Oh, how, how does that look? Well, all right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is the fact. Don't you want the firefighters knowing that maybe if there's a fire at this particular place, they, they should be really careful going in, or alternatively, they shouldn't they shouldn't go in. Now, that's not saying don't fight the fire. They're going to fight the fire, but they're going to do it from the outside. The last thing you want is some firefighter running into a house that's structurally unsound and losing his life. I mean, all because you don't like the optics. Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, yes. Um, one of my comments there, thoughts, is what if Mr. Bauman's uh, family members, daughter or son, were firefighters, how he would feel about them being jeopardized? Right. Well, well, right. And or or if Lord forbid something would happen to one of these firefighters who's doing this. I mean, it's it's just right. Yes. As you said, it's already been identified. The buildings identified. I do a lot of work in the city and it's obvious what buildings are vacant and are vandalized. So right. The play card really means nothing. But it's a, it's a real positive thing for the firefighters, I believe. Right. No, thanks for calling. Exactly. Right. It, it's not. And again, there we're talking about vacant, abandoned buildings, and not all vacant, abandoned buildings are going to get the placard. This is what they are doing. Is these are the ones that they found that are, again are structurally unsound, and they're trying to give an advance caution to the firefighters. And I. Th- I mean, if I'm the fire chief, I'm going, my God, I mean, this this, this is what these aldermen are bent out of shape about? I mean, maybe they should be concentrating on what do we do to, I don't know, tear down the building, do whatever you do with the vacant properties. But the problem isn't with a placard telling firefighters, hey, be careful if there's a fire here because we don't want you to lose your life. The bigger problem is you've got the vacant building in the first place. Concentrate on that. Instead of, again, what are the optics? But it's easier to say, well, gee, maybe, maybe people won't, maybe if they don't have these placards up there, maybe people won't figure out that this is, is vacant and structurally unsound. Maybe they'll look past, you know, the boarded up windows and the doors that are falling off the hinges and the holes in the roof. Maybe. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Lori text. Jeff, I thought immediately of the problem with the gun-carrying workers when I saw the story about the fire placards. The aldermen are more concerned about visuals than the underlying problem. Um, let's see. Dan says, give the aldermen a fire hat and let them go in first. Um, 
Here's another. Maybe it would be better to hang placards on some Milwaukee aldermen to warn people that their judgment might not be sound. Uh, yeah, I mean, that look, that, that that's the bottom line of this. It's just, it drives me nuts when we, we worry about optics or appearances instead of figuring out what the underlying problem is. You have a huge problem in certain parts of the city of Milwaukee with vacant, dilapidated, run-down buildings, right? That drags down property values, and it does not reflect well on those parts of the city. All right. So what's the fix to that? Well, okay, deal with the underlying problem, which is the vacant, dilapidated, structurally unsound, dangerous building, right? Deal with that. Don't worry about, well, gee, if we put a placard, a sign up on these dangerous, structurally unsound, vacant buildings, that it's going to look even worse than it already does, even if that placard is designed to save the life of a firefighter. I mean, really? 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 239, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, this is the point in the program where we put aside the heavy lifting. We start talking about the dysfunctional stuff that is going on in Washington, whether it's with the new Supreme Court justice, soon to be justice, or President Trump, or any of the other stuff. And we stop talking about crime and the issues in the city of Milwaukee and the state. And we have a little bit of fun. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. We talk about Food sometimes, travel sometimes, sports sometimes, TV sometimes, books, plays, you, you name it. It's just whatever's happened in a given week that's kind of tickled my fancy and that I hope will be of interest to you. Uh, today, today we go to the world of movies. Um, obviously, we, we discussed this a little bit on yesterday's show, the announcement coming out uh, during the show that Burt Reynolds had passed away at the age of 82. As I said yesterday, if you, if you are not of a certain age, you don't understand what a big star Burt Reynolds was. There was a period of time in the early to mid-70s where there was no bigger movie star on the planet than, than, than Burt Reynolds. And, you know, it started when he made the movie Deliverance, and, and then, you know, he had Smokey and the Bandit in 1977, which was the second highest gross, grossing movie of the year, second only to Star Wars. I mean, pretty much anything Burt Reynolds touched was, was gold. And he, of course, he, he would guest host on The Tonight Show, and, you know, people would follow his love affairs, first with Diana, with Diana Shore, then later on with Sally Fields, and then later on with Lonnie Anderson. Now, again, the, these stars that, that burn really, really brightly tend to, you know, flare out. And after his heyday in the, the 70s and stuff, his career kind of took a downturn, but he was able to reinvent himself. He himself, he was on the TV show um, Evening Shade for a number of years, and then had he did uh, Boogie Nights, which apparently is a movie he hated, just absolutely hated. He said he never watched it, fired his agent after he made it, didn't like the director, um, but yet, you know, he was nominated for all sorts of stuff for his role in there. But Burt Reynolds was, he was, he was a movie star in the classic example, uh, uh, the classic history of that, and, and Burt Reynolds was one of these guys. And, and believe me, if you were in the 1970s and you saw that there was a new Burt Reynolds movie coming out, you went to see it. it and it didn't, it didn't matter what it was. And it didn't matter, oh, this is Burt Reynolds playing a prison convict in the largest, longest yard, or this is Burt Reynolds. It's, it, you, you went to see it because it was Burt Reynolds. Now, again, that, that faded. It was a brief period of time. But he was 
he was one of those those movie stars that for a while you would watch in absolutely anything. Which brings me to Pop Culture Corner for the day. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. In honor, recognition, memoriam of the passing of Burt Reynolds, here, here's my question. Is there an actor or actress, a performer, that you would watch in absolutely everything, in absolutely anything, that they're, they're just so good that, all right, th- this is... This is my favorite actress. This is my favorite actor. Doesn't matter. You know, I just, and, and again, even the best actors or actresses, sometimes they're in bomb movies. But, but the idea is, this is my favorite person. When I find out that there's a blank movie, a movie by Betty Davis that's going to be on TV, I'm going to be watching it because I, I just, I love that actor or actress. 414-799-1620. All right, the actor-actress that you would watch in anything. And, uh, again, Burt Reynolds was that guy for a few years. As I always say during these segments, please call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. And number two, don't overthink it. Go with your first instinct. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Mine is Tom Hanks because he's definitely got the fun, nice guy comedy thing going with Big, but he's versatile enough that he can play a gangster in a movie like Road to Perdition. And he can actually keep me awake in a piece of garbage like Bonfire of the Vanities. <laughs> right. And, and he's such an incredibly versatile act. I mean, Apollo 13, which is, I mean, he steals the show in that. Um, what did I just see? Bridge of Spies, you know, where he, I, I agree, Tom Hanks, uh, Castaway, you look at the different movies he's made, and it's just it's just spectacular, you know, how he's developed as an actor. He started off doing, like, kind of the some of the silly comedies, like, um, Oh, um, what, what's the one bachelor party and something like that. And, and, and the, just the types of movies he's made over the years. Yeah. And I just uh, recently got volunteers on DVD right. and I've, I've enjoyed that one where he's had kind of had a different role as a self-centered jerk. If right. Grows up during the movie. Yeah. Comedy with thanks to with the late great John Candy. Absolutely. Tom Hanks, great nominee four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We'll be back to take more calls in just a moment. It's pop culture corner. All right, the actor or actress that you just, you'd watch in anything. Uh, stick around. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, our text line exploding. Denzel Washington has been in a ton of great movies, everything from action movies to a spectacular role um, in Glory, the Civil War epic. Let's talk to Matt in Watertown. Hi, Matt. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, for me, it's Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, few actors have, have that wit, that sarcasm, that attitude that he's got. And, you know, even movies as boring as regarding Henry, <laughs> you can still sit through them because he, he, he's just a great actor. And I don't care if he's going to be 73 or 74. The next Indiana Jones movie, I'm still going to go see it. <laughs> well, I, you know, thanks. I am, too. I mean, you think about Indi- I mean, Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones and then all the other different things that he's played. Now, I'm with you. Harrison Ford's a great one. Um, let's see. Justin says, too bad he's gone, but Robin Williams was exceptional in every uh, role that he played. Um, I, I will tell you, Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, I think, is one of the – he won an Oscar for it, and he deserved it. Uh, let's talk to – this is interesting – Steve in New Berlin. Steve? Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Okay. Uh, yeah. For me, it's uh, it's another Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool. And from the first movie I ever saw him in, which was Van Wilder, uh, it's just his mannerisms. The way he talks is the epitome of cool. And uh, 
And uh, not a better matchup for an actor and role than Deadpool, of course. No, and of course, Ryan Reynolds, here's a guy that actually he appeared in Green Lantern and even made that awful movie tolerable. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for I mean, but I know I agree. Ryan Reynolds is is very very good. Let's talk to um da, 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 Brian in Waukesha. Hi, Brian. Uh, John Wayne. I don't care what he does. I'll turn it up. No matter how many old movies he's got, uh, I watch them every time they come on. Uh, and it doesn't matter how many times you've seen them, huh? No, nah, doesn't matter. It's just he just uh, was fun to watch and uh, such a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with all the guys that have called uh, Tom Hanks. I, I watch everything, Harrison right. Ford, everything he puts out. What, but, uh, what was your favorite John Wayne John, movie? John Wayne is just fun to watch. What was your favorite movie? Favorite John Wayne movie? Oh, I you know always westerns. Right. Uh, the one where his son gets uh, his grandson gets kidnapped. I, I forget. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Thank, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing that. I can picture the villain there, uh, Richard. Whatever. But for me, it would be. I, I loved him in True Grit, towards the end of his career. I also. It, it's not a western. I think The Quiet Man, one of my very favorite movies with Maureen O'Hara. Mark in Whitewater. Mark here on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, I'm Bogart. You know, we're dating ourselves, but when I was making my own personal list in my mind, I, Humphrey Bogart is is on there. I he. <laughs> He's just so good. I could watch Casablanca or The Maltese Falcon or The Big Sleep. I could watch him or Key Largo. I could watch him a hundred times, and I never get tired of him. My favorite Bogart movie is Beat the Devil. Okay. And then uh, The Left Hand of God. Okay. Uh, Some of the films he made uh, later in his life before he passed away were sort of non-traditional for him. Right. uh, They're very good. Uh, I actually checked TMC listings in the Sunday Journal PVQ. (laughs) Uh, for TCM to see when they have Bogart movies on, because I'm always looking for one that I have never seen yet. Oh, interesting. No, thanks. See, and I, I'm more the, I kind of go the other way. I, I just, there, uh, there's there's a lot of them um, that, I mean, you want to talk, talk about somebody who in the 40s, you know, we, we talk about how big a star that Burt Reynolds was in, in the early part of the 70s. You want to talk about somebody who was a huge star in the 40s. And this is the era of, you know, where you've got the Cary Grants of the world. Humphrey Bogart was certainly one. Let's talk to Patrick and Mequon. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, you, you, you'll you watch anything he's in. Oh, I, oh yeah, I watch uh, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Oh, man. You, you know, you want to talk about, again, somebody particularly in the 70s, um, with yeah. the Dirty Harry movies and all that stuff, he was he was huge too. Um, along with Humphrey Bogart, no question about it. I love this movie. Uh, Outlaw Josie Wales is my favorite movie of all time. I, you know, Patrick, I think Outlaw Josie Wales. People will argue with me about this, but I, I think it might be the best western ever. It's certainly in the top two or three. I love the Dirty Harry movies, particularly the first Dirty Harry movie. And I, you know, and Clint Eastwood. Then he started doing comedy after a while too. Um, I'm huge fan, just a huge fan of Clint Eastwood as well. Let's talk to Russell in Brookfield. Russell, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, my favorite is Jack Nicholson. Um, he he's certainly been in a lot of great films. Um, he has he has such a way of delivering a line. It's either funny or it's tragic or it's sadistic or it's <laughs> right. nasty. Or uh, the the line that he had in one of the cuckoo's nest, and he said, mm, and the, when the big Indians said, mm, "Juicy fruit." <laughs> right? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's interesting that you. I was gonna. I was gonna. We'll stick with that one because I was gonna say, "What's your favorite Nicholson thing?" I um. 
I, I think it would be one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I think that that was probably, at least in my opinion, his best work. Jan in New Berlin. Jan, all right, you'd watch the actor or actress in anything. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, years ago, it would be Paul Newman. Okay. When I was growing up. And now it's Denzel Washington. Okay. Well, I mean, both are great choices. I mean, Paul Newman uh, was just, I, I mean, you, you want to talk about a lot of great movies, whether, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, Cool Hand Luke, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. I thought he was great in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Paul Newman was yes. just a tremendous actor in so many different things. Yes. Yeah, and, thanks, and you can't go wrong with Denzel Washington either. I even remember you could tell that he was going to be a star. I was a big fan of the old TV series St. Elsewhere. He started on, on St. Elsewhere. Uh, Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, you'd watch him in anything. Um, Robert Duvall. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, probably, um, well, yeah, mainly Robert Duvall. I don't know if anybody's mentioned our friend from The Godfather, Marlon Brando. Um, but both of them would be, yeah. Guys that I really, really watch. Yeah, I'm um, thanks. I mean, Brando, uh, yeah, Brando was incredible. Robert Duvall, I, and I, I said I think the outlaw Josie Wales might be the, the best Western. I was referring to movies. I, I, Lonesome Dove, which is a TV miniseries, um, Robert Duvall's character in Lonesome Dove, I, he and Tommy Lee Jones, I think those might be two of the best performances. Now, again, I don't count that as a movie. That was a TV miniseries. But that, that might be the best Western Ever. But Robert Duvall, just incredible. And he started out with The Godfather and then went to all these other things. All right, well, we're, we're kind of out of time. We've got to make way for Melissa and John. But um, you, you can send me the texts and you can send me the emails. It's always fun to hear about these different things. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds was one of those guys, especially for that period of time, for a few years, where he was the star. It's interesting. I was reading an old interview with him. And when he was the big star, apparently he had a reputation of being quite a jerk as well. And he, he, what he would say was, well, if you knew me between 1972 and 1976, I apologize. <laughs> that was a great line as well. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.